Weirdo Weirdo Bookworms Unite! Unite. Do your reading tastes range from dystopian sci-fi to middle-grade fantasy? Dark psychological thrillers to gory body horror? From YA paranormal swords and sorcery? Extraterrestrials? Murder? Mayhem! And beyond! Then we want to share our love of reading with you! Welcome home. Hi, genre junkies. It's Sandra. And this is Scott. Oh, and it's still Halloween. It's still... Happy Halloween, still everybody. still time for a few more scares. <laughs> <laughs> um, we are going to be doing a book today by an author that we have covered before, and that would be Catriona Ward. We discussed her book, The Last House on Needless Street, and tonight we're going to be talking about Sundial. Um, but before we do... Let's share some fun things. I've got a thing. You got a thing. Let's okay, and this thing. is like this is also relevant. This is also new business, like John O'Shaughnessy's new business. <laughs> okay. Um, have we all seen the trailer for the cabin at the end of the world, or as they are now calling it, knock at the cabin? I think. I think that is what it's called now. Um. So we reviewed that book when it like came out. Yes. While while back by Paul Tremblay, one of the best authors in the whole wide world um i mean i'm excited seeing the trailer i love the cast we love jonathan groff we love batista Batista. um so i've gotten some friends to read the book i'm trying to encourage anybody who's curious maybe that's you too to read it before the movie comes out because i mean this book is so good the book is so good and it has an ending <laughs> and i'm <laughs> very curious probably be- yeah. want to read first i because i feel like the movie's going to have a different ending i feel like they're going to give it a hollywood ending i think that that's why they changed the name frankly we'll see and it's um it is directed by um M. Night Shyamalan, who is a bit of a polarizing figure. I'll have to admit, I don't like every movie he's ever made, mm-hmm. but I like a lot of his movies. Or a lot of his movies I really like until it gets to like a point. You know what I mean? A twist? <laughs> yeah, there's too much of a twist in there or something. But um, oh, I'm so excited for that. I'm really excited to watch Shudder 1999. Um, we've been enjoying the gulag on Shutter. Oh my god, it's so it's cute. so cute. You can actually spend a lot of time just watching Just getting it. sucked into it. Um, I watched Dahmer. I really enjoyed that. Um, we started American Horror Story, New York City. Yeah, we're only one episode in, but it looks, I mean, so far it's very good. It's American Horror Story. Uh, I and mean, there's so much stuff. There's so much content out there. It is very overwhelming. It is like impossible to feel like you're caught up at all. Um, so we're going to get through it somehow. There's always like, you know, there's like these lines and I'm like, oh, I want to watch all these by Halloween. And it's like, oh, okay, now I just want to watch all these by the end of the year. <laughs> I know. It's, yeah. Oh, let's let's try to do it before. I mean, yeah, it, it they just all start piling up. And, you know, I'm going to start making us watch Christmas movies here pretty soon. Mm-hmm. That's not true. That's not true. (laughs) There are very few Christmas movies I would say we like as people. We like Home Alone. Home Alone. um, (laughs) We watched Home Alone last year. We're like, oh, Home Alone. This is great. Die Hard. Die Hard. Uh, I love Frosty the Snowman. Frosty the Snowman. And whatever crazy live action musical they're doing this year, which actually, (laughs) it's about time to start seeing, like, start seeing promos for that. I haven't seen anything yet. Oh. 
I don't know, some horror. They'll drag out some horror. I mean, I will say last year's Annie was a lot better than I was expected. Yeah, Most we actually were are... like, we're watching it, you know, just ready to just be like, ah, oh, this is terrible. And we were like, this is actually really cute. Yeah. And like, it was great cast. And But you know, fuck Christmas. I'm not talking about Christmas right now. <laughs> no. Anything you want to share relevant for the people of today? I don't really have a whole lot relevant. I, I have this book. I have this book that we're talking about today. And... It is definitely something I want to talk about. So maybe we should. Let's do it. Sundial by Catriona Ward. You can't escape what's in your blood. All Rob wanted was a normal life. She almost got it too. A husband, two kids, a nice house in the suburbs. But Rob fears for her oldest daughter, Callie, who collects tiny bones and whispers to imaginary friends. Rob sees a darkness in Callie, one that reminds her too much of the family she left behind. She decides to take Callie back to her childhood home, to Sundial, deep in the Mojave Desert. And there, she will have to make a terrible choice. Callie is worried about her mother. Rob has begun to look at her strangely and speaks of past secrets. Callie fears that only one of them will leave Sundial alive. The mother and daughter embark on a dark desert journey to the past in the hopes of redeeming their future. Sharp as a snake bite, Sundial is a thrilling new novel from the international best-selling author of The Last House on Needless Street. And I want to point out, there's a blurb on there. Stephen King. There's a blurb on there. Stephen Uncle Stevie Burm. Um, a true nerve shredder that keeps its mind-blowing secrets to the very end. There's tons of great blurbs on the back, including um, including Christopher Golden, Paul Tremblay, Emma Stone, X, Amakatsu, Thomas Old Huvald, um, NPR. <laughs> I mean, Joe Hill. I see you, Joe. Oh, Sarah Pinborough. Like, I mean, and she also, um, she talks about this in her afterward. I think what we have is the American cover, but she thinks the artists of the UK and the American covers. This book is freaking gorgeous. It is beautiful to behold. It's some of our favorite colors. Like, we really like color schemes like this. The pink and purples and Pink blues. and purple and blues because it's kind of galaxy-ish. And then there's an animal skull. There's a snake. And then there's like the hot pink inside mm. bright blue cover it's absolutely a gorgeous book to to collect too um so let's have it well for th this book was an absolute page turner for me i could not put this book down i was so enthralled with the characters I was so enthralled with the setting. There was, I mean, there are places you think it's going and then it immediately swerves and it's something different. It plays on tropes in ways that's unique and inventive. Mm -hmm. I absolutely loved this book. Oh, I'm so glad you did. I absolutely loved it too. Um, not that we have to agree. We always say that. But I mean, this was like a love, a love, um, absolute page turner for me too. I was mad when I wasn't reading it. I was frustrated and I wanted to go back to reading it. You know, like books like mm -hmm. that get you like that. Um, the desert, the desert and sundial, the home are a character as well. Kind of not quite as literally as the last book we read. <laughs> Man, fuck this True. house. But so I have somebody in my life that I'm really, really close to who's a desert 
person. And they weren't always like there was parts of their life where they were a desert person, they were raised a desert person. And I went to the desert when I was a little kid, like so young, I should not have the memories I do of the desert. Mm-hmm. It does something to you. It imprints on your mind. And, you know, like my loved one talks about the desert and the weird things in the desert and the things they've experienced and seen in the desert. It's magical. It's there's nothing quite like it, you know, like I'm talking, I don't know, and I, you know, I don't want to share this person's identity, but um, aliens, uh, rumors of strange people live in the hills, uh, cattle mutilations, oh. just the feeling of magic out there. Like, so, yeah, it calls to you. And so all these times when she's talking about the desert and desert people, I was like, no, I know exactly what she's talking about. There's a lot of there's a lot of comments that that I don't have that experience with the desert, but I felt it. I felt the importance of it. I felt this made me feel the feelings that Catriona, I think, wanted me to feel. There's there's particular a, a scene at the very very near beginning of the book where the main character is describing how it feels to be coming to be basically running away from the death and the cold of the night mm-hmm. towards safety yeah that in, in like a joyful sort of way yeah that is that just absolutely enthralled me well and a good author should always paint this sense of place for you and you you know you learn stuff no matter what Mm -hmm. you read but like they should really set a tone for you like i remember back even when i was in high school and i would read like shitty romance books and they'd be set in like toronto but i learned (laughs) all about toronto you know what i mean and i'd feel like oh this is so toronto this toronto vibes and i've never been there you know but like things like that and um she definitely it's it's a good setting because there's like I, I couldn't imagine this book being set anywhere else. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, and she has such a beautiful way with words, which we've talked about before. Her her writing is not very flowery and overly descriptive, which I like and Scott doesn't like. But she has like really beautiful ways she strings sentences together. Yeah, I I I don't know if I agree with that previous statement. I. In you a way that I, mean. I like, but I think I think she has very flowery language. No, but she you doesn't know what describe I mean. about it. Well, like, of course, yeah. yeah, she doesn't describe you know the thread count in the sheets, which I like, but, which you love. But um, she paints a picture with words in a way that's that's artistic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, poetic, poetic, artistic, just just gorgeous. So she also says some things in this book that get repeated a few times. And it's like points that she's trying to make. And at different instances in the story, it kind of makes sense to you and calls back to you. Um, One thing that I absolutely love that she says in this book a couple times are kids are mirrors, reflecting back everything that happens to them. You've got to make sure they're surrounded by good things. Mm -hmm. Which is not exactly the point of the book but is kind of the the crux of it it's a good reminder of you know kids are these little sponges and they just soak everything up around you and the way you know you have to carry yourself if a kid looks up to you you know what i mean and the things you have to teach them and like there's i don't know there's just like these just these beautiful morality issues in this book 
that comes up too. Um, I love books and movies where people have to make hard choices. I love books and movies where people have a secret. Mm-hmm. Um, so this ticks a lot of boxes to me. I would like to go live at Sundial. Oh, see, I wouldn't. <laughs> <laughs> I think I think it's I, I'm very happy for Rob that she loves Sundial, but I She loves it but she doesn't love it. It's complicated. Complicated feelings, but I I, I could not I could not live at Sundial. I'm not a desert person. I don't know that I am either. I mean, I hate heat more than anything, but I do want to live at Sundial. Sh- I think it's air conditioned. <laughs> I hope so. I didn't actually. I didn't even think about that. But it's gotta be based on the te- based on what's going on there. It's gotta be air conditioned. You're right. Yeah. So let's talk about the scares. What makes this book scary? What makes this a horror book that one should read for the Halloween season? So for me, I would say this is this is the scariest part of this is the psychological family horror. That domestic horror. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, there is definitely other aspects of horror in this book, but I think the main through line and the part that kept me very unnerved throughout the entire book, and I use that word very specifically, mm-hmm. very, very unnerved throughout the book, is actually the the horror that I could relate to. Oh, yes. I think there's a lot of horror that people can relate to in this. Um, I almost think of this as kind of a, a twist on a gothic tale. Oh, yeah. Too, and uneasy. This book makes you uneasy. And that's part of the page turner is that you want to finally feel at ease. And so you think if maybe I just read a little bit more... <laughs> Maybe I'll feel at ease. Maybe I'll get the pay- maybe I'll get that like payoff, that breath, that yeah. something good will happen. One thing that I think is kind of interesting to think about before we move to the spoiler section is this notion of home and the place you grew up in. And that could be the physical place you grew up in, like a house, or it could be the area or the town you grew up in. And I think a lot of people have complicated feelings. Mm-hmm. about their childhood home or hometown or place they're from. And I think it's probably because it's very tied into emotions and memories and stuff. And there's um, a very interesting horror to pick at that. Yeah. 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 You got a haunted dentist what? chair in your house. <laughs> right? Yeah. I mean, you're, you're right. Because obviously, I think I think there's many of us that can look back at things in our childhood with some sort of uh, happy memories. Um, but even with those, I mean, just being even even those even those people who had like really great childhoods in retrospect, whoever they are, I know, right? Uh, no, I, I like me, like I have I have a lot of happy memories of childhood myself. Uh, that said, there's also a lot of very painful, problematic memories of childhood. But on paper, you didn't grow up in a nuclear family. No, that's so it's true. kind of like you had a great childhood, but on paper, it'd be like, well, this is not supposed to be. That's true, I suppose. That's that's normal. But I, I, I'm saying I, you know, from from the spectrum of people who had terrible childhoods to the people who had, you know, overall pretty good ones. There's still a lot of complicated feelings about. We we all carry scars of our childhood, family, and growing up, and coming of age, and trauma, and parents, and all kinds of stuff. So I'm gonna say for me, I really want to give this a pretty broad appeal, mm. um, because I think that. The psychological, the 
these themes that we're talking about, this domesticity, this self, this self and their role in the family, I think a lot of people can relate to this and um, would find it really just immersive. Like if you want to be immersed, this is the book for you. And you're also going to be freaked out. I think that this book is a mass appeal book. I love it. I want to recommend this book to people that I would that I only recommend a very small portion of our books on this show to. Let's do it. Let's let's do that. I think that there are some challenging aspects to this book which look forward to the very beginning of the spoiler section for trigger warnings. I there are some very uh difficult things. There's very some very um I struggled with aspects of this book in a way that I think is good ultimately, but I think that some people will find incredibly challenging. At the same time, it has all of the aspects of being relatable and powerful and the characters are meaningful. Mm-hmm. Where I I genuinely think this is a mass appeal book. I love it. I'm changing my we're mass we're mass appealing this. Get it for everybody this holiday season. Um, so there you have it. If you want to read a book that's just going to make you feel twisty and again, immersed and just covered in desert dirt and memories and on the edge of your seat, do read Sundial. <laughs> so we'll be back um, in the spoiler section at the very top. We're going to have trigger warnings um, just briefly, and then we'll get into the spoilers. So if you want to hear those, see us over there. Hey, Bookworm Buddy, don't forget, subscribe, rate, and review. And while you're at it, find us on Instagram at Genre Junkies. Okay, just some quick uh, warnings, content warnings before we get into the spoilers. Warning for domestic violence um, and violence towards children, self-harm, suicidal ideation. As well as adoption, which... Let's just go lead right. So that so that's it. If you haven't read it, read it. And let's just go right into that first talk, topic, I guess, and just talk about the fact that this does feature a potentially problematic view towards adoption. It's not exactly the happiest adoption. It's kind of falls into the trope of hiding adoption from the children. I will say as as that is something. Oh, so, th- so that's that's it. We're in the spoilers now. We're in the spoilers. Yeah. Okay. I will say for me, like that is something that I can sometimes be a little bit sh- your adopted person. Uh, yeah, and, and and I do actually have some triggers when it comes to those things because I had a pretty good adoption and I get a little bit pissy when it's, you know, right. and not I, presented I, well. Can I just kind of interject here too that this is... Um, this is very specific to these characters in a very unique situation. Extremely unique. And I think that you're acknowledging that. I am acknowledging yeah. that. In fact, and, and I don't speak for every adopted person but this one didn't bother me it was only a little little peek behind the curtain it was only when sandra and i were discussing what the content what the content warnings were going to be that it occurred to me oh that's right that is that is a potential trigger that you know well right and sometimes people like they don't want to avoid it but they just want to kind of know it's there it's like a lot of trigger things so like what i think is really interesting is and that, so I'm just going to give my perspective on the. Okay, so they were taken in very under the radar, um, totally wrong way to handle taking in children, right? Yes. Um, and they used them. However, 
They also, and Mia and Falcon say this several different times, they loved them and they really were trying to do their best. And to them, it was love first, experiment second. However, that does not mean that (laughs) the girls have to forgive them at all. You know what I mean? But you can very much look at the story, in my opinion, from Falcon and Mia's perspective, and they are the scientists, and they think they they did fine. You know? It's very interesting. They thought that they were doing the best. And that's one of those twists that kind of keeps twisting in the book, where, um, you know, there really is a point in the book where you feel where I felt very strongly that despite what they said, despite their protestations, that Rob was kind of right when she called them out for, you know, you might think you were doing the right thing, but really all we were were experiments. You hunt, you, you picked us out just like you picked out the dogs. Yes. Uh, which, you know, they're running experiments on dogs and, you know, making them good dogs. And they basically made them good girls. Um, Mm. But, you know, as it, as it turns out, when you finally learn the real truth, no, the, the chicken really did come before the egg. They found them and, and decided to do this to try and find the best, the best way forward for the girls. One thing I think is really, really brilliant about this book is the dual timeline, the way then Rob's story unfolds, because she was, they both were, but... Jack was kind of just going along. They were very naive and Rob was very naive. And of course, Jack calls her out on that a few times. And, you know, we see Sundial through her eyes as a kid and it's this funky kind of place to grow up in. There's students and people coming and going all the time and it's kind of a commune life and they're like, um, they talk about feelings and emotion and all this stuff and it's it's kind of magical. It was feeling cultish at the beginning it, it's though, a right? Little, I, I didn't get strong culty vibes. I got this, this feels utopian, right? This can't be real. And so then you learn more things like they don't go to the movies. They don't have TV. In fact, they never leave. They're only allowed to read books of substance. And it's like, well, that's not really fair. You know, it's you're not really being nice. You're controlling someone. And then we start to learn about the dogs. And of course, at first, the dogs are described very normal. It's, It's all just part of our life here at Sundial. And then it kind of opens up more and more and more in their history. And I really, truly felt like I was going through it with Rob, young Rob. Yes. And the, the dual timeline is such a smart way of doing it as well, because it's it's told in, in the perspective of Rob telling Callie her story. Right. Telling Callie, you know, as it turns out, maybe why Callie is the way that, that she is, at least at that time, why Rob thinks that she's the way that she is. Mm-hmm. And, um... And it, 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 it serves in a way where you don't know all of the information. There is information being held from you, but it's not because it's being kept a secret. It's because it's, it is just being unfolded in real time. Right. To you. Well, I mean, there was information being withheld from us because it was also being withheld from Rob. That or is true. if Rob, you know, Jack's opinion is like, open your eyes, Rob. Jesus, like, it's so obvious. And it's like, well, maybe it's not obvious to Rob and to us. <laughs> it's <laughs> obvious when you have the information that you have, Jack. Yeah. But it's not, but you didn't really know what was going on until you were told. So, so I, um, I was 
I was always on Callie's side through this book. And I'm not trying to say this like, oh, I'm so smart or anything. Like, please, I'm not, I, this book surprised me plenty of times. But I was like, Callie tells us right there at the beginning, Annie's the problem. Yes. But then we think, well, Callie's an unreliable narrator. And, you know, so then we kind of, our minds are supposed to kind of drift off and let that fade away. And it's Callie that's the one that's a concern. And it's like, Oh, no, no. I knew the whole time. I'm like, it's that little thing in the bathtub. Do you know what I think it was, too? Because I agree with you. I It's not that I saw it coming, but I, no, no. I, trusted, I trusted what was being presented to me a lot of the time because both Callie and Rob were written very honestly. Mm-hmm. There was, it, it was, it, they, I felt like both of them whenever they were on the page, were just laying their their heart open yeah. on the page for us, the reader, in a way that I don't think it would have been, I think it would have been disingenuous to then turn them into unreliable narrators. When I saw- And I had trust in Catriona yeah. Ward to stay genuine to those characters. When I say that Callie is an unreliable narrator, I mean it in the sense that I agree, she's being honest with us, but she- sees and hears things that are not quote-unquote normal true so that's where we're kind of like you know questioning a little bit of of her reliability because she's doesn't seem completely well you know but um but yeah no i agree i appreciate her honesty i love the way she says emojis (laughs) that was really funny now what's interesting like there, there is um I think there's a natural uh, inclination for us to diagnose characters in a book. You know what I mean? You can't diagnose these characters. There are things that it feels like Catriona is suggesting or hinting at psychological, like real psychological conditions that exist. And I really appreciate that while those are there, that was really me bringing that 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 diagnosis sort of mm-hmm. uh, mindset to it, at no point did it become a an actual simile to real mm-hmm. mental illness. I, I completely agree because, and that's why I say you, you can't really diagnose these characters. Right. Because like, I mean, you know, there's some, some PTSD stuff going on for Jack and Rob and, you know, some disassociating stuff and whatever, but it's not like, you look it up and it's like, oh, look, she's trying to diagnose these people and like lay out this is a mental illness they have. And then same thing with Callie and with Annie is, is it because of their blood? Is it because of the click and the way the click passed down to them? Um, And then it's also really fun to look at Callie and think about, you know, was that really her ghost S- half sister cousin pale Callie, or was it an imaginary friend? Yeah, or yeah, or was it some sort of thing from the click or something? And we don't really know. Seems like dumpster puppy's still around, but I think at the end of the day, does it matter? No, but it makes you think, and that's so yeah, so cool to make you think. And you know, if you're listening to this and you haven't read it yet, first of all, just, I mean, doing? we'll say this every time. Just go read it. But read it. I encourage you. When you do read this, don't 
diagnose the characters. Let them be. Let them be who they are. And, you know, every single one of them is scarred and damaged in their own ways. Mm-hmm. But the point the, the point of this story is, if, I mean, if there's two points, let people be who they are mm-hmm. and children are mirrors. Yes. I think that's so important. And, you know, when Rob goes out there, she doesn't know if she's going to give her the click or not. And then, you know, she she makes a decision that, no, we're going to do this as a family and we're going to get through this and we're going to support each other. And it's really beautiful and it's really important um, because there isn't nothing. There is nothing. There's nothing in this world that is a quick fix. Everybody wants a pill. Everybody wants a I do this and my problems are over. It's a story of humanity and it doesn't exist. There are tools and things to help people in our lives, but there is nothing that just everything, everything's better. It's a magic wand. It's waved and everything's done. Um, I have one complaint about this book. I could have read Irving get killed about four more times <laughs> and been really, I know I saw your face like, what? I'm like, I fucking hated that man. Oh, he made my blood boil. One of the most effective, like, awful. He is evil. He is straight up unhinged evil. Yeah, he is. He is evil. Uh, the, The manipulativeness of him, the control that he demands to have. Yes. Uh, but you know, better than even killing him, mm-hmm. the the absolute way that Rob was able to just pull at every single one of his strings She's to get so him smart. to do yeah. exactly what she wanted. You know, I I don't know if this was deliberate, but I likened it a lot to the remote controls for the for the dogs. Ooh, I think that's a really good um, simile. I mean, she she at the end of the day knew exactly how to to mess with his his pleasure centers as well as his frustrations to get him to do exactly what she wanted him to do. Right, because she knew that Callie had to see it. Yes. Because that's, you know, this master manipulator, they they do things like that. He's really more culty than Sundial if you want to get <laughs> down to it. He's high demand, high control. Exactly. That, it, that yeah. I... You took. I, I was going to impress you with that exact oh, comment. Look at you. That is a, that exactly right. Yeah, the way he, he pulls takes everyone's hair. Right. He takes Ugh. someone who who you know is looking for something, is looking for someone to tell them what to do, mm-hmm. and takes that and uses that to his advantage. And yes, creates creates that relationship is high demand high control one of the things that i couldn't figure out reading this book is i couldn't figure out what he had over rob Mm. and they obviously like they have this kind of dynamic of you know they've gotta like she's gotta keep him happy but at the same time she really is aware of how bad he is and stuff so i was like what does he have on her what does he like what could make her stay with this person and it's it's very nuanced and complicated and it's also you know he she is not callie's birth parent and he is and it's like that is besides all the other stuff they've got going on at the end of the day if she were to try to divorce him or anything she wouldn't feel that she has a leg to stand on 
She would lose Callie. She would lose. And she can't lose Callie to him. Yeah. Because he's evil. Right. Um, Plus, they have all this other weird, complicated stuff going on and her trying to be normal and all this stuff. And there's no such thing as normal, Rob. There's no such thing. But, you know, there are times when you're when you feel pushed in a direction of, you know, if if you want the white picket fence, two and a half children, you know, suburbia lifestyle, that's totally fine. I'm not judging, but there's a lot of people who don't that kind of get pushed into that because that's what you should do. Right. And in Rob's case, it's even stronger because Rob has lived this incredibly hippie lifestyle mm-hmm. that has created hippie is not even a fair word for it because they're not sheltered yeah, yeah. it's kind of hippie but it's also really sciencey yeah. it's very sundial it's actually very cool to see those two things combined like I, mad I science it, mixed with the sacrifice circle scott did you know you were gonna get a sci-fi horror? i didn't it was such a delight and i you know do you feel that upgrade prepared you a little bit for this book? Oh, sure. In a way. I mean, I think there's, you know, we've all heard of kind of theories and science around this sort of thing too. And um, it's nice because she lays out so much for us as a reader with the dogs and with the MRIs and, you know, we, they can't leave. And like, you kind of like know all these little things and Powell or Powell, I don't know how to say his name. Paul. No, I said Powell. <laughs> uh, he's great, and like you know, but she's giving us all these. Not they're more than breadcrumbs. It's like she's really like she lays it out there for you. She lays it out there for you, but at the same time, you're still okay. In my mind, it's like I have all these strips, and I'm trying to braid them, and so she lays them out for me, and I'm trying to braid them to where it makes sense. And it's such a smart way to tell people a story. So talking about breadcrumbs and, you know, letting you know about uh, there is a decision that she made in this book that I was a very I was very appreciative of, um, I think, but it could have gone a different way. And that was in relation to, uh, well, Pale Callie and, and Warm Callie, but the real, you know, her, her real miscarriage. Yeah. Um, we've read books that have gone the direction uh and it, which is fine in its own setting right where it could have easily they could have gone to labor at the same time and one of them dies or mm-hmm. you know been much more just what i thought was going to happen it's horrible when rob loses her unborn child how she loses it and how she loses it um and yet i still feel there was a level of restraint in it happening when it happened mm-hmm. um as well as how much time we got afterwards to kind of come to grips with, okay, we understand now without it being the big twist. We understand now that Callie, it doesn't sound like is actually Rob's daughter before it's revealed solidly. solidly. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. It wasn't made the twist. It wasn't made the, uh, the truly violent pivot point of the whole book it was awful but it wasn't it wasn't done for shock value yes for me i appreciate that well and you know there's the point where she says the exact words that i think at least falcon and i think mia said to her she says them to callie you're my daughter in every way that matters Mm -hmm. and i do think that falcon and mia meant that to the capacity they had as these very driven scientists that wanted to 
make this click and prove it like they weren't perfect parents by any means who is a perfect parent but they weren't they weren't perfect by any means however i think they really really loved and cared about those girls and the capacity that they had to do it i do and that doesn't excuse their things or and like i said rob doesn't need to forgive them nor does jack but i never lost full compassion for them and i never lost any empathy or compassion for jack i cared about jack so much throughout this whole book me too and it was hard because she does things to rob and to others that she wants to be unlovable but she also wants to be loved and she wants to have her sister stay with her forever and she wants to push her away I think that that's what makes this the most powerful book to me is the third theme of forgiveness. There's there's so much moments where, you know, Rob is even saying like, you know, they felt that they were doing the right thing. I try to remember that. Yeah. It's, she says something like that. It's like, yeah. you know, it's okay. A lot of the things that Jack did were not okay mm-hmm. and were, and, you know, Rob was justified in having that anger, that sense of betrayal, that confusion Mm -hmm. over these actions that that Jack took. But um, there's still an understanding and a humanity to the things that happened to the point where you could forgive or at least understand. Right. And when we talk about the concept of forgiveness, we're meaning it in the way that's often used, but not often well described, which is where you're forgiving a situation, you're forgiving something that happened to you, you're forgiving the thing you found yourself in. That doesn't mean you have to be like, oh, it's okay. You're fine. Like to the person, person, but you're like, you're closing the book on letting something have power over you anymore. Um, And uh, I think that's very, very powerful part of this book. And I also, it was driving me crazy to know in this book what happened to Jack, Mia, and Falcon. I was like, what happened to them? And that was one of the things I'm like, did she kill them all? Did she kill them all? Is that what Irving has on her? Like, you know, like, (laughs) I did not know what happened to them. And then the fact that her and Irving and the kids would go out to Sundial sometimes and bring friends. And I'm like, there's no way Falcon and Mia were still alive. No, yeah. How about when the dogs showed up? I don't, I don't like, I don't like dog on human violence. No, I don't either. We're both huge on that. We're both huge on animals, but okay, but hear me out. I feel like they showed up for Callie and Jack and Rob. I do. Oh, for sure. Like they, and like in a literal way, yes, because they're used to, oh, this is a person that's fed me many times. However, I think it was pack. I think it was pack mentality why they showed up for her. That's my personal belief. I like that. I, well, so you're talking about when they showed up at the end? Yes. That was really neat. Yeah. And I was, I mean, honestly, I was okay with anything that happened to that jerk. Oh, but no, I mean, I mean, um, actually how her, 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 you know, how Mia and, and Falcon died and Jack died. That was, Oh, that was hard. That was hard for me. And, and, and to be like, it is very clear. These, these are not just dogs. No, they've been genetically altered. They've been from physically trauma. altered. They've been traumatized. I understand. It's still just hard. It's hard for me to read dog on on well, it's just hard for me to read animals dog hurting people or people hurting animals we hate all that um but it was in i feel like it was a necessary crux for the story because it was a way that rob was able to not be held liable for anything that happened out there mm-hmm. you know 
Um, yeah, just very smart storytelling. And we, we talk about this a lot. And I want to know how she patterned this story. How did she lay this out? I and know. was it start to finish or was it just these? And then there's also uh, Rob's writing about the school and how that is so cathartic and reflective of so much that's gone on. Um, when did she decide to put that in the Bingley Hall or whatever? You know, <laughs> that was oh, we didn't even talk about that whole yes, the whole writing um, conceit of of including some of her um, creative writing as a way of of contextualizing. Yes. It foreshadows. It's um it's also her like I said, it's kind of cathartic for her, but it also really informs us reading the story. It, it informs us emotionally where you know where she feels in a fantastical setting. You know, sometimes the biggest truths are fan- fantastical. And the only way to really express how you feel and how a relationship is is through fantasy. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, not only did it have science fiction, it also had little bits of fantasy. (laughs) Very cool. I love this book. I love her other writing, too, and how she always leaves just a little bit of room open for some supernatural something in there, too. And I think that's so cool. Um, I... I love this book. I, I, you know, five sundials out of five. Take all my sundials. I, great. I mean, just listen to the whole way we've talked about this book. It's just, just lovely and powerful and freaky. This book is really good. And uh, th- there's, there's themes in this book that I'm still thinking about and will continue to think about. I think that this is uh, in my top contenders for the year. Mm-hmm. I'm going to give this four and a half sundials out of five. I think it's fantastic. I think it's disturbing and um, and truly unsettling. Well, there you have it, everyone. That's our opinion on Sundial. Um Thank you, Scott. Thank you, Sandra. Please keep Halloween in your heart all year long. Every day is Halloween. It never has to end. As I always like to say, this is just the time the time of year when the tourists catch up with us. Okay, everybody, please keep reading past your bedtime. Mm-hmm.